Welcome, everybody, to a new episode of the World Drill Podcast. Today, I'm your host, Andrew Katz, for the first time. And uh, today, we're going to be doing an interview with a very special guest. And he is a three-time world champion, former member of the United States Air Force Honor Guard Drill Team, former commander of the Street Elite, former ambassador of, uh, for For The Art Clothing, and a former member of Mass Drill. We have very special guest, Narai Garen. Mariah, it's very pleasant to have you today with us. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. So we have a lot of questions, or I, I should say I have a lot of questions for you. First question I had for you, and uh, this is just more to, I, I really wanted to, uh, when I was trying to write up these questions, I was really trying to, um, not some new drillers may not know you, or maybe just people who, uh, they may have heard your name, but they don't really know, like, like who is Narai Garen, you know? And so that's kind of what I want to jump into today. And so I got the first question was, um, where, where did you originally like start with drill? What, what was like the, everyone has that, like, not necessarily epiphany moment, but they always have that like moment, like, where did you start? What's the origin and story of Narai Garen? <laughs> so this is kind of silly, but, um, I originally started my high school drill team in my sophomore year of high school, not because I like was interested in the team at all, but because at the time, um, I thought I was going to be a musician for a living. I thought that that was my calling. That's where I'm headed. I could play like four instruments poorly at the time. And uh, my notion was that if I join the drill team and learn to do a two-handed spin, I'll get stronger forearms and that'll make me a better musician, which is a bananas train of thought, but in my youthful genius, it made a lot of sense. So um, <laughs> I joined the drill team and about a month in uh, after um, kind of spending some time with the equipment, I don't really know why or like what it was, but about a month in, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this until I'm the best in the world at it. And at that time, I didn't even know that like the world championships was a thing. I didn't know what that meant. It was just, I'm going to do this until I'm the best like no one ever was. So that's a <laughs> sort of pitch that I gave the rest of my JROTC battalion. We had a pretty big unit, so it was like 250 people. And um, I basically asked everyone in my JROTC battalion for a dollar or as much as they would donate so that I could get my first rifle so that I could be the best like no one ever was. And then... Um, within a week I'd like had what I needed for a used rifle. It was, I got it for like 180, but I had what I needed. So, um, from there I just, uh, kept practicing a lot all the time. And then, uh, nothing ever really changed from that front. That is, that is so awesome. I've never heard of that before. And that's actually really awesome. And that's also awesome that like everyone was supportive with you with, uh, like giving you the money to get your first rifle. What year was this? That was, let's see, um, 2012, because um, it wasn't until my sophomore year, so uh, beginning of sophomore year in 2012, because uh, freshman year, I didn't really do much of anything. What idol or what? who did you look up to when um, you had pretty much got into drill? And then I'm sure you did more research into it, And uh, but who was like your first person you looked up to? When you, you know, decide I, I you want to be like, a driller. I think like anybody else my age in that era, it was Sam Gozo, like 12 out of 10. 
Uh, first time I ever heard about him was from another guy on my team that's like telling me about like this one dude. He's like, he's like so jacked and he does like backflips under aerials in a routine. It's unbelievable, <laughs> dude. And, you know, obviously that gets me pretty jazzed about the whole idea. But, you know, drill motivation videos were like, they, those got me pumped. Like there, there was no other presence and there's never been another presence like that in the drill community. So to be kind of just getting into it at uh, the height of that was, um, yeah, Sam Gozo, 100%. <laughs> Samuel Gozo, that's a good, uh, that's a good start. He's a very, nah, that guy's insane. Um, <laughs> that that makes a lot of sense. And I feel like a lot of uh, a lot of people who start drill, they always find him, and they, you know, big muscular guy with the blade, and he spins really fast. It's like something to look up to. So total character, head to toe. Oh, 100%. And so this also leads into uh, kind of my next question as well. With um, So did some research, uh, and, I, I've kn- and uh, I'm sure people who are in the community have known this. Um, you're, you're part of Mass Drill, and uh, you're also like an ambassador, correct, uh, for, for the art clothing. That's, that's the correct term, right? Ambassador? It was my, – my title was uh, sponsored athlete. So there were three levels. There was – uh, you could get like an event sponsorship, sponsored athlete, and then an ambassador, which was like uh, what Gozo and, and Paulina were the level that they operated at. Sponsor athlete. Okay. Okay. So my main question with this is um, I'm always curious about uh, how mass drill, when, I, when you first see your your drill, you can see there's a massive change between um, when you were first starting drilling around 2016 and then to where you are now. And so I kind of want to uh, pick up some like what what exactly did you do? with uh, for the clothing and master drill, and how did that influence you throughout your drill career to where you are now i'll start with for the art because that was uh what i was originally a part of that was um that was kind of a a cool process to get to be a part of for a little while um i you know obviously i got a lot of free fta gear which was very cool um but did a couple photo shoots with a professional photographer to uh kind of get some good media out for the the brand um did uh, a lot of vending I, I got to do traveling and that was the first opportunity that i had to engage with a uh, larger drill community of cadets in a in kind of a cool way it's not just like walking up and saying hi it's like i'm being approached by the general populace all day long so i get to talk to everybody um so that was that was kind of cool um and yeah cool stuff cool process uh mass drill was um that was after graduating that was like my my uh starter team you know i feel like anybody that gets into um the professional circuit of drill first thing they want to do is uh find a team to be a part of you know whether that's um Mass drill, generation drill, river city drill, street elite, what have you, there's everybody wants that organization to kind of uh, represent when they go to competition. So um, that was a very cool one to get to be a part of. I think that um, being a part of that team in the capacity that it operated um, was very encouraging for me to uh, be different, be weird, try to... um, you know, focus on originality and, and artistic expression. There was less focus on 
you know, how to be part of a drill team or um, uh, adherence to manual, it was um, much more art oriented than it was competitive drill oriented. Um, so that was a that was a very cool um, is is cool to do a couple shows with uh, that team behind me, and um, I got some really cool uh, video edits out of it. Probably some of my favorites. So yeah. Yeah, that's funny you say that because um, I was I was watching. Uh, I'm not sure if you I posted an article earlier about video edits, and uh, yours actually was like number three on my. List. That was like one of my personal favorites, the midnight drill edit. So that's why I, I gravitate towards a, a kind of a Schuster has a pretty interesting way of like, um, doing this like you know originality how you're saying with not just with drill but with the video editing. So I think that was some cool content that came out of that. Absolutely. And so uh, so at so into this transition, um, you went. I see that uh, you went. You're saying that Master was very creative and um, like very focused on originality, and then you go into this uh, new phase, or not even new phase, but you just kind of go into this new place with the 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 esophageal team, which is, you know, that's um that's completely different from um being creative and a uh, original. So, so first question with that is uh. How did you get onto the, the Air Force drill team? Um, so that's a process that I wish I had a easier explanation for because I, I get this question a lot from people that are interested in um, finding their way there. Um, the majority of it is luck. It's it, You've got about a 20% chance of being at basic training at the right time to catch a Air Force Honor Guard recruiting cycle. And I'm just really lucky. Um, I was there at the right time. My second week of training, they basically gave us this big spiel in the uh, auditorium. 90, 99% of people that end up in the honor guard end up there because rather than go back and train with their training flight, they're, they're in an air-conditioned auditorium. Like, yeah, they're going to stay and apply. They're going to milk that clock for as much as they can. Like stay in the auditorium, chill, sit in the air conditioning. It's fine. It's good. I'm not going to make it anyway. And then people end up going to the honor guard and they're just like, yeah, I don't know why I'm here, man. So it was, it was a little weird, like stepping into the unit as the only person in my tech school class that was like really excited about being there. Um, but yeah, after, after basic eight week tech school, after tech school, two months of, uh, basically doing, um, funerals in Arlington National Cemetery. Uh, by the time I left the unit, I probably did about a thousand funerals there, uh, whether it was marching escort to the uh, caisson in the procession or doing a uh, firing party like the, the 21 gun salute. Um, after the two months of pretty much straight funerals, I moved into firing party, which is where I learned how to do the 21 gun salute uh, portion of the ceremony and did a lot of other... Um, did a lot of other things like escorts and cordons for uh, high up people and, and foreign dignitaries. Um, I've been in either the same room or in very close proximity to um, the Trump administration, the Obama administration, General Mattis, the Prime Minister of Japan, the President of China in Mar-a-Lago. There were some pretty uh, <laughs> some pretty interesting ones in there. Um, but at some point, I was given the opportunity to apply for drill team. 
applied for drill team, went through another eight week training cycle, which is some of the most intensive, grueling training possible. It's like you do 12 hour days, five days a week where, you know, six hours of the day, they're just PTing you until you can't breathe. And then they'll have you do uh, the same move the same way 50 times. And if anybody in your class messes it up on one of those reps, then, you know, you'll do, you'll do the counts 31, sir, 32, sir. And then you'll say a number like 49, sir. And they'll say zero. <laughs> and then you start over. Um, but basically after learning all <laughs> that, uh, did a, a full run through of the sequence in front of the squadron and, basically as long as you don't drop and have a relatively clean run of it, then uh, you're on the team. And then uh, with time and learning the manuals and getting a little more senior on the team, um, you can apply for four man or be chosen for four man rather. And then you basically learn the the harder moves of that. But yeah, it's a, it's a hard process once you get past the basic training application, but getting to that point is just massive amount of luck. So you said the the four man. So I'm trying to. You said uh, you, you tried out for the four man, or you were you part of, part of the four man? Uh, no, I got onto the four man team. Um, it it's basically another training cycle that's a little less intensive. You know, you've got some some tenure on the team. Um, they're not going to bust your chops too much about anything. So you learn the movements, you run the sequence, and then. Uh, when the trainers decide that you're ready for your evaluations, then you uh, do your evaluations and then you uh, can do forming stuff. So, yeah. To to expand on this a little more, because um, you did say earlier with the Mastro how it was very creative and a little more like art, like art orientated with the part of drill. And um, so I'm curious to see um, how did, you know, learning the manuals, the, you know, um, the, the training with the Air Force Honor Guard kind of influence your, I guess, your thoughts or just how you drilled with uh, like trying to create it with this art form, but also trying to create it with this like militaristic uh, manual type drill. How did that like influence your style of drill? Well, and just your I, I think that <laughs> I'm very thankful that of any service drill team to land on, I landed with the Air Force drill team because, um, the way I think that the army old guard is probably the most entertaining drill team. And I think that the Marine Corps silent drill platoon is the most prestigious drill team, but of the service drill teams, I think that air force is hands down the sharpest. I think that, um, the, the way that moves are taught and executed, everything in the entire routine is two, maybe two and a half counts, but it's a lot of one and two, one and two, Throw, catch, shoulder, cut, drop, one and two. And it's a lot of that all the way through. So because there's less movement in between each stop, the emphasis then becomes not on how well you're going through the movements, but how well you're stopping the rifle on each count. So it's very picky, very particular. Um, and it took me a long time to like get away from doing these moves specifically in everything that I did. But once I could kind of get away from that stylistically a little bit, um, I'm very appreciative of the way that the Air Force drill team taught me to stop a rifle. Um, it's the first place that I really learned how to 
drill competitively. Um, you know, I did, I did color guard in high school. So I did a lot of like dancing with flags and rifles and sabers. And then I would port that over to stuff on a drill rifle. And, you know, after high school, I'd kind of do a lot of the same stuff. So I, I was playing with this piece of equipment, but I was not looking at it like I was trying to be competitive in a military drill setting. So, uh, to that regard, it helped a lot. Oh, so you were on a, you were on color guard though, like a winter guard. Uh, yeah, I did uh, two seasons of Color Guard and two seasons of Winter Guard. One's with the marching band and one is uh, indoor. Oh, really? Oh. I didn't know that. That's pretty yeah. cool. It was and our then... uh, my senior year show for marching band. Actually, um, I had three solos in that show, and that show ended up getting our program invited to perform in the Macy's Day Parade, which I didn't get to do because it was after I graduated. So like, oh, no, I missed out on an opportunity to be in the Macy's Day Parade. And then while I was in the honor guard, I was in drill team training and there was a trip to New York to perform in the Macy's Day Parade, just not even drill team, but just like flight, doing flight manuals. And I'm in drill team training, so I can't do anything. So I've missed out now on two opportunities to perform in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. (laughs) (laughs) Just the world going out to get you with the Macy's Day Parade, I guess. Just not meant to be. (laughs) Well, maybe maybe we'll see you with the... Maybe we'll see you once in a while with just uh just you with the in your new uniform. Out there and, losing uh, my mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll see you in the we'll see you out there. Eventually we'll see. But um with New Guard. So I wanna expand on New Guard a little bit. Because um I feel like you were you're I were you I'm pretty sure you were one of the last solos to represent or not solos, but a tandem team to represent New Guard in a competition setting that was 2019 uh world drill champion uh the world drill championships and so i'm kind of a, um i want to hear um just your perspective with uh, new guard and how it was for you and how's your time because um sadly it's, we're, they're not too active nowadays or i don't know what the the whole um status of it is right now so i'd, I'd like to hear what you have to say about new guard and uh just yeah just go on about that i guess so like what what did new guard do for you and um how did it go before? Uh, I'm not. I, I'm. I'm not sure if you're on New Guard or still. Well, so, or so, I don't know what the whole status is. So, New Guard um, is as of now, it's officially retired. Um, the only way that New Guard is going to uh, basically come back is if uh, Constantine's one of Constantine's sons, uh, Zeland, is going to uh, bring it back, and that's entirely up to him. But it's it's um, it belongs to him now and it's retired until he decides to resurrect it. Um, but that said, I, I think that uh, New Guard retired on a really good note. Um, Constantine, while he was alive, had a uh, notion of, it, it, he was, his response anytime anyone would like ask him how he was, was always living the dream. So it was always about everything that he did um, being him living the dream. And after he passed, which was oddly enough, my introduction to the team, uh, the notion was keeping the dream. And the performances that were done after that, um, I think that I got a new appreciation for performance quality because a lot of the choreography that we did was basically just reconfigured things that Constantine had already scripted. It was to music that he himself had made and composed like I don't know if 
that's common knowledge, but like all of the new guard music, Constantine made himself like he, he was a brilliant craftsman and the um, choreography of these shows really kind of gave me a new appreciation for uh, building a show to elicit a, an emotional response from an audience. Um, I got to do some pretty cool shows uh, outside of a competition setting, um, a GMU halftime show, um, you know, a, a special exhibition at the Lone Star Championships once. And uh, that was the team that I won my first uh, world championship title with in 2019 in tandem. So um, <laughs> other than all that, it was also the reason that I learned how to do over the head spins. That was a move that I had resigned myself to, I'm just never going to learn it. That's just not going to be one of my moves. That's fine. I'm just never going to know it. And then I wanted to do new guard. So that was like kind of a prerequisite. So um, I spent an unbelievable amount of time practicing and now I can do it with a bad angle. So <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a very pleasant experience overall. And I think that uh, the note that it went out on is... Um, is is a high note it's a good good uh good out to be proud of yeah i think i'm really happy with um with yeah i agree with the high note thing where i think it went out pretty good or i'm not i hope to see it come back one day i really do because uh that was something that uh kind of left right when i joined so i mean it's it's, you know in a non-competitive setting it filled a performance space with the gold standard of military style rifle exhibition drill. There is no other performance team like that in the world. Like for what it was, it it's, um, the, there's nothing else like it. Yeah. It's truly one of a kind. Hopefully we'll, um, I really hope, and that'd be awesome to see the, his sons come back with it. That'd be really cool. Yeah. Um, so speaking of drill teams, um, I think one that we definitely need to uh, touch bases on with uh, you won, I believe, two world championships titles with, and that's uh, the Street Elite as a former commander of the Street Elite. And um, I, I'm just uh, I want to touch bases on with this with um, how it affected you as a driller and how it influenced you with um, your style because I, I feel uh, we we see like people like Goalie and our Stephen Goalie and Brandon we see him join and we see him like go from a very good driller to now he's you know about he like possible contender for world champion and so i feel like it has a pretty good effect when it comes to a competing standpoint with uh being a driller so um um i like to hear your thoughts on uh what it did for you with your time um just as a driller i think that from a driller standpoint i i think that i uh gained more uh, from my time with the Air Force drill team in New Guard America. But what I think helped with the Street Elite um, was A, <laughs> building a uniform. That whole process was was quite something. Um, and I think it helped a lot with developing uh, professional skills, you know, um, how to talk to people more effectively, um, you know, do's and don'ts of professional associations, things like that. It was really cool to have the opportunity with all the new guys to like kind of, you know, run an application cycle. We did a two month long professional development measure that was derived from a doctorate of occupational therapy program. Um, 
you know, we, we got all these six inch bayonets ready for everybody on the team to uh, go to worlds with under the, the notion that if you're competing at worlds without a bayonet, then you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot. Um, and yeah, just, just kind of helping these other guys uh, see what I wanted them to see helped me understand the things that um, were important to me as an individual as well. So it was a very, very good experience in terms of professional development, I think. Um, but as a driller performer, I don't know that it necessarily had too much to do with that. Yeah, that makes some, some understanding. And um, so with, uh, with, the, with the new members of Street Elite, how do you think uh, they're going to do this year in uh, the world stage? Um, I'm really excited about the the team as it is now, led by Brando. Uh, Brando's a really awesome guy. You know, obviously, if you watch any of his drill videos, he's just absolutely disgusting with everything that he does. I want to say, and I could be mistaken, but I think that if he hadn't dropped at Worlds, I think he would have won, um, just minus the points for that drop. I could be mistaken on that, but I think that's right. Um, and then the other guys on the team are just really swell guys. You know, they've got a, uh, a uniform established. They kind of, um, they're all, they're all intelligent. They're all pragmatic. They know how to conduct themselves moving forward. And they're, I believe they're running an application cycle right now. And, um, any of the guys that they could, uh, potentially be taking on right now would add some really interesting and diverse talent to the team between uh, some of the guys from Singapore um, and some other national talent that's uh, really next level. So I think that whatever they do next is going to be very cool. And from a competitive standpoint, I just uh, I just hope Brando doesn't drop. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope I'm really excited to see him this year with um Same. World. I think he's gonna do really good. <laughs> so um so on to you know, you built a good legacy with um drill so far with this uh, rifle flow um program. And I don't know I don't know necessarily how to call it with um what you're kinda treating it as. And so this is where I kinda wanna quite uh, I wanna deep go a deep dive into this to really figure out what you're um, trying to do with this whole, you know, like revolution of rifle flow, or I don't even know if we should call it a revolution. So, um, main question I want to ask here is what is like the main purpose of rifle flow and what, what everything involved with rifle flow that you're doing with right now? Um, what is that and what's the purpose behind everything that you have with that? Okay. So I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry to say there is not a short answer here. So buckle up. Uh, <laughs> I think that to kind of understand what, rifle flow kind of is um we should understand what it is not like definitely what it is not and to do that i think that we need to put a more uh refined more refined terms onto what drill is because at least for the audience listening what we know is not what this is so stepping from one rifle spinning um category to the next, it, it's, it's important to understand what defines each one. So starting with uh, drill, I think that drill is at a professional level, a post high school level, you've got, you know, your military service drill teams, uh, 
New Guard America serving as the gold standard of rifle exhibition drill. These are all bladed groups. And in general, even from a competitive standpoint, you kind of need to have a blade at Worlds if you're going to be competitive for that top spot. You know, that's not to say that that's 100% of the time without question, but it's a uh, variable on the, the, the judges can't help but take that into account when they're scoring you. They see that blade and there's so much more implied difficulty just from having that. So other than that, I, I think that we should look at the word drill. So drill is not what we do. Drill is not the activity. Drill has like 15 different definitions on Google. None of them are very close to what we do. One of them talks about uh, military activities and one of them talks about uh, repeating a process to like refine accuracy or something to that extent. So drill, if we take it to a competition standpoint, you've got regulation drill, a drill based graded on the regulations set forward for that performance type. Then you've got armed and unarmed and then squad and platoon. So if you have squad armed regulation drill, it is X amount of people with rifles being graded on a drill that is by the regulation set forward for this kind of performance. Okay, cool. So take it to our side of the house. We've got solo armed exhibition drill. So through these four clarifying words, we get to the point of what the activity is that we're talking about. Now that only makes sense to people that are practitioners in this activity or that are familiar with this activity, solo armed exhibition drill. To non-participants of this activity, it might be more appropriate to call it military style solo rifle exhibition drill so that there's enough keywords, enough um, classifying words that people understand exactly what we're getting at. There's no further explanation needed. It's not like, well, it's kind of like this. It's military style solo rifle exhibition drill. Okay, so we're here. We're, we're talking about this activity. This is what we are doing. This activity is very much characterized and defined by its, uh, by its outline. We sometimes get this notion in exhibition that we can do whatever we want because it's exhibition, but that's to a large degree not the case. Uh, there's so many regulations that we still have to adhere to, like you know, adhering to handpins, uh, not breaking our T-form any more than is absolutely necessary, um, putting our heels together any time that we're in a standing or stationary position, uh, breath control, facial expressions, uh, maintaining our military bearing, um, good reporting procedures, drilling within a 30 by 30 or a 40 by 40 pad within a two to three or three to five minute time frame. It's all of these variables that make this activity what it is. It is the uh, adherence to regulations that are, uh, that are more implied that makes this activity what it is. And that is a wonderful thing. I'm here for it. Military style rifle exhibition drill is a great and wonderful activity, both on a team level and as a solo activity. And I'm, I'm here for it. I'm going to be doing it until forever. Like this is a great and wonderful thing. I'm not suggesting that anything should be brought forward. Um, instead of this, I am suggesting something in addition to this. When we talk about drill, there's a lot of an immediate connotation to drill team. And then there's connotations to things like JROTC and the Marine Corps Silent Drill Platoon and Cadet Kelly, Major Payne and Stripes. And as much as these constant um, kind of inaccurate connections can be a little tedious, they're to a very large degree correct. Uh, 
Um, these are very appropriate associations to make with our activity. And while people might not always necessarily understand the caliber that we are executing this activity to, they're, they're overall on the right track by associating with any of those things. In the past, we've taken these sort of baby steps away from this activity as what it is, which is a, a military activity. And we've had cool things pop up like the summer drill tour or the New York drill competition that had a special focus on uh, video editing. Um, we've thrown around this term, quote unquote, street drill in the last few years as a sort of stylistic implication. But no matter what we do, we keep kind of uh, falling short of revolutionizing the way that we compete because what is always being thought of is how do we make this activity more cool, more fun, more engaging in terms of drill? Okay, makes sense. Fair enough. But if we start saying, how do we make this activity more cool, more fun, more engaging in terms of circus? It's a very different conversation. It's a very, very different way of thinking, right? So... Military-style rifle exhibition drill, I think, is an activity that many of us as individuals have outgrown to some capacity because it is very limiting in terms of artistic expression. Um, we, we have these other activities like Color Guard or the way that uh, the Taiwanese student rifles are spun um, that are much more rounded motions or more dance-oriented, etc., because there's a different foundation of execution. Um, I think that rifle flow inevitably should kind of find a middle ground for performance among all of those, uh, rifle spinning demographics. But as of right now, what is rifle flow? Is it the rifle flow games? Not really. That's a small part of the puzzle. The rifle flow games is just one step in the right direction of clearly non-military style rifle spinning. Um, is it rifle floor world records? Not really. Another small piece of the puzzle. It's non-military style rifle spinning. Who can throw the rifle biggest, highest, fastest, longest, etc. what have you. Um, and that's something that eventually I'm trying to branch out to both Taiwanese student rifles and color guard rifles. I have a, a contact in the color guard community that's helping me branch that out to uh, color guard rifles as well. Um, and that's something that I wanted to branch out to the Taiwanese student rifles while I was in Taiwan, but we'll circle back to why that hasn't happened yet. Um, right now, along with last, last frame of reference that we have currently is VSRF or versus rifle flow, which is a competition format that was created by Stephen Gulley that debuted last year after Daytona, which is sort of one V one, um, uh, challenge style competition over five weeks that measures different, uh, the rifle spinning skills like speed or aerial difficulty, you know, what have you. And I think that this is another really good step in creating a, frame of reference for non-military style rifle spinning. But right now, that's where we're at, is baby steps in the direction of it's not that other thing. What we have right now is not um, fully defined. This is not uh, what it should be because there's not enough created yet. This is in very early stages. And this is a concept more than anything. Inevitably, this should come to be an activity that can be explained without reference to another activity. But as of right now, what we have is uh, just beginning to put us in the frame of mind to 
think of it as a non-military rifle spinning activity. That's a very interesting intake. And I also have a... So is the rifle flow versus going to happen again this year? Um, so I'm not sure about versus rifle flow. That's, that's Stephen Gully's uh, competition format. I helped him run it a little bit last year. But if that's something that he wants to move forward with, then, you know, that's on him. Um, I think that there's, I think that there's a very big world of possibilities for competitive rifle flow and rifle flow as an activity. And I think that anybody, you know, Stephen Gully or anyone else that wants to create a uh, rifle flow competition or a forum to participate in rifle flow, whatever that means, I think that anybody that wants to get involved in this absolutely should, because this is not my project. This is not my thing. This is not my movement. This is not my revolution. This is just an idea that I think the drill community as, as a whole for a hot minute now has been hip to like everyone likes spinning rifles and we've got all kinds of like, you know, cool media and, and cool content that is clearly non-military style rifle spinning. I'm just trying to develop nomenclature for this activity so that we can begin to develop it for what it is and not in regards to drill. That said, ideally in the future, I'd like to create a competition space that is the rifle flow equivalent of the world championships for drill. Um, that comes down to a couple things. Number one is having the right competition format, which I think that I've pretty much got. Um, it was It's a format that was originally drafted by Jake Spears back in like 2010 or something. And it was uh, typed up as, you know, what if drill was uh, a competition was made like the X Games. And at the time it was it was way ahead of its time, but it was a novel idea like what if. And then a few years ago, he showed me this this template and it made a lot of sense to me. So I started to run with it. Um, you may remember I made these fake Facebook profiles and like sent out all these individual invitations for this like cool edgy underground competition after the uh, Richmond qualifier at Army Nationals. And then that was in 2020. COVID was just happening. That ended up getting shut down, but that's okay at the end of the day because since then, I came up with the notion of rifle flow and it's been uh, renamed XRF for extreme rifle flow. This is not really in a moving stage right now. Um, but aside from having that format and uh, putting forward some level of event coordination to make this event worthwhile, the, the big problem then becomes getting an audience. Um, having an audience for the world championships is one thing because it's run in conjunction with the national all-service high school drill team championships. So basically the perfect target audience for that kind of show is already there. So we've got this big grandiose event that we're actually only a small part of, but it makes our event feel a bit more um, important because we've got all of the audience of younger practitioners there that should be there. Rifle Flow doesn't have the national championships of anything to be run in conjunction with. So I think that um, creating an audience can't be done by advertising because, again, a lot of these uh, misunderstandings come up about um, 
you know, what rifle spinning is and what capacity Cadet Kelly, you know, Marines, JROTC, all this military stuff. And by and large, the general populace isn't interested in military activities. So if there's, if advertising won't work and the general populace doesn't have a good frame of reference for this, the show itself is great. There's no question about that, but people need to understand what they are uh, being sold. They, they have to have an understanding of, of what is happening. So I think that to create an audience, there needs to be a development of um, a performance space. There, there has to be something to give people a frame of reference for what this activity is. So, for example, I don't know anything about basketball. I only know a couple of the names of the really big players. I know absolutely nothing about the activity. But I'm familiar with the Harlem Globetrotters, and so are a lot of other people. And that's a very, very uh, cool, entertaining, and fun show that even if you have no idea what the sport of basketball is, after seeing that performance, you might be interested to see more. So I think to the same capacity, a performance team for rifle flow should be developed to the same level as, you know, New Guard America for drill. That was, you know, the the pinnacle of what it meant to perform for drill. And I think that there needs to be another team or teams of that for rifle flow. So that said, that's very tedious. That's a very big, long endeavor that requires time, money, energy, resources. And I think that creating a performance space is further out than creating a competition space. So in a shorter term, how to create an audience for that competition space? Well, what I would ideally like to put together is instead of a single day competition for extreme rifle flow, put together something like a, uh, a three-day performing arts festival that is run in conjunction with a lot of other uh, flow arts demographics. Um, this could invite people that do, you know, contact staff, dragon staff, hoops, poi, whips, yo-yos, wands, contact juggling, sear wheel, rope darts. The list goes on. Like, people like spinning stuff. At the end of the day, what we do is just a flow art. Our prop is a rifle. That's it's as simple as that. And I think that having a three-day performing arts festival with all of these demographics, A, gives a great audience, gives a great introduction to people of another demographic to competitive rifle flow, which ideally is an activity that has already been inviting to demographics of drill, color guard, Taiwan, wherever else that spins rifles. And this, uh, this event, this this place could provide an opportunity for cross-disciplinary learning. Um, it could have workshops where you could learn how to uh, use different pieces of equipment from um, experienced people of those pieces of equipment. Uh, there could be special exhibitions of, you know, performance groups of any of these props because there's a lot of props that do have a performance space already. Um, there could be vending for you know, all these different kinds of equipment. So anybody can get into anything else that they want to. And there could be competitions among these other props, maybe not to the full extent of XRF, because that's, that's more the headlining event of this performing arts festival, but um, maybe more like 
you know, the rifle flow games, but for dragon staff, like that kind of thing. Most of these flow arts don't have competitions. Mm -hmm. Yo-yoing does, I think contact juggling does. I'm not too sure about a lot of other stuff. Um, so I think that a competition space stands to be exist or created there. And um, I think that that would do a really, a really good service to all of these demographics, especially competitive rifle flow. That said, the last thing that I think would be important for this competition would be to um, lower the barrier to entry for equipment accessibility. Uh, one thing that I wanted to do while I was in Taiwan um, that I'm, I'm, I'd still love to do at some point is make Taiwanese student rifles available in the U.S. I, I have one, and it's a great prop. Uh, the way that it's balanced, how thick it is. Um, cost of materials, it's it's very affordable and it feels great. It, it feels much more like a what somebody would traditionally consider a flow prop than a drill rifle does. I think that to get people into competitive rifle flow from other demographics than rifle spinning demographics would be introducing them on a tiny student rifle or a color guard rifle because I do not think that a drill rifle is a good starter piece for somebody that isn't about to pour hours and hours and hours and hours and hours into getting better at it. So I think that XRF should be two weight classes, standard, lightweight, but standard because that's that would be the norm. And then heavyweight, something that you can opt into um, with more experience. Um, in short, I think that there should be more competition formats. Uh, more ways to challenge people to think of rifle spinning in terms of non-military style rifle spinning. Uh, more inclusivity among all rifle spinning demographics, lower barriers to entry and getting equipment, better outreach to other uh, flow art demographics. And um, yeah, hopefully with, with time, this can uh, be put into more refined terms. This can be defined simply. Um, you know, somebody asks what competitive rifle flow is, you can just send them to the, uh, the XRF YouTube page or something. You know, you can send somebody to YouTube to watch any number of drill videos, um, but hopefully it, it gets that easy to define this one day. But right now, this is a lot of it's a lot of ideas. And I just want to emphasize again that anybody that wants to uh, create a rifle flow competition or activity, I very much encourage to do so. This idea is not my property. This belongs to the community. This is something that com the community's been doing. It's just developing nomenclature for this thing as I think it should be. So with that, this is what you think the that's what the the future of rifle flow with the uh, is with these competitions and new availability of uh, equipment. That's where you see the future of rifle flow being. Yeah, it it just needs to be. Um, it needs to be bigger. It needs to make sense. I make yeah. I see that. Um, and then, so are you going to move to Taiwan uh, anytime soon? So <laughs> last year, I man, I had everything ready. I I had saved up enough money to be completely financially independent while I was there. Um, I had my flights booked there and back. I had my you know two week quarantine hotel booked. Um, I had so much stuff like ready to go six days from the time I was supposed to leave. I had just sold my car 
and I get an email letting me know that Taiwan just closed their borders again because of COVID. So, yeah. (laughs) So that one was a weird change of plans. But um, yeah, no, I, I definitely fully still intend to go. I, I haven't stopped with my daily Mandarin since then. I'm on a 510 day streak on Duolingo as of today. Um, I'm, I, I'd say I'm almost conversational at this point. I think I could get by uh, at least through a day. Um, but yeah, it's more just uh, a little fun fact to keep in my back pocket that I can speak Mandarin because I have not had the need for it um, and probably won't for a little while now. I don't have plans to go right after this drill season. Um, I'm still kind of reworking some things. I've got a handful of projects I'm working on and I'm, I'm trying to figure out when it makes most sense to uh, try and make this trip happen again. Yeah, I really wish you luck on that. I know COVID's really being a burden on all of us when it comes to this. But um, moving on to uh, kind of a more... So after this whole backstory, this whole point of the uh, that section was I really wanted to figure out who you are um, with your backstory and where you've been and what experience you've had. But now I want to jump into a more philosophical standpoint with uh, just sitting down and answering tough questions that everyone has. There is no like right answer. But I'm very curious to what you have to say and to going back into the more militaristic style of drill. Um, as a world champion, what is the most important aspect do you think today when it comes to making a solo or tandem or any kind of winning routine? And what is your own personal uh, most important attribute you own to like creating a routine? I think that when it comes to being competitive, there it's it's the details it's 10 out of 10 the details the first step i think for some people is just having all of your steps accounted for um not everybody i think practices within a 40 by 40 space and then you know they know that they're going to do certain moves certain sequences and then they're going to walk to the back left corner and then they're going to do this sequence from one end to the other and then they get there and the pad looks huge it just looks massive and there's like so much that like wasn't accounted for. Um, so I think a, just ha- making sure that your routine is like accounted for step by step, inch by inch all the way through. But aside from that, the details, all of the details, your uniform, your, uh, your shoes, your haircut, your hat, your overall presentation, the way that you, the, every single inflection of every word that you say through your report in and report out, I think that every single thing deserves the same amount of consideration. Detail, attention to detail. And yes. so along with this world um, as a world champion, kind of just going into the world, um, we understand that this year uh, you've had a very long streak with kind of almost very tough uh, kind of solo uh, outcomes for you you uh started in 18 um didn't i don't think you medaled and then next year got uh 2019 with the one-handed got second place and then 2020 in the online covid ruined the in-person went to second place and then this year went to fourth place so and as someone um so as as a competitor standpoint where you see this kind of this trend and i know a lot of people who um including myself feel this very kind of like it's very uh, 
demotivating to just kind of see like man you're not seeing results so after this this past wdc where you you've uh placed in the top fourth um how did this affect your mentality towards going to the next wdc and you kind of your next step towards drill well this year was <laughs> i i wouldn't say that it was necessarily worse than any other year what was weird was so like 2018 right i i had that nightmare of a routine where I couldn't remember the guy's rank, froze on report in for a solid full 15 seconds, silence, couldn't remember his rank, called him the wrong rank anyway, and then was dragging around my right cheater through most of the routine because it fell off of one of the screws because one of the screws was too small. And I'm like stomping on it, dragging it and like having this nightmare of a routine, right? So terrible 2018, 2019, I do the one-handed routine, did it about as well as I could have possibly hoped to, got second place 2019 or 2020, did the uh, the one where I got second again. But again, I'm like doing a gimmick. I'm playing a game of, um, you know, reciting, quote unquote, the driller's creed, which is supposed to kind of represent what it means to be a professional level driller, not as uh, part of a unit. You know, in in the military, every branch, every honor guard, every drill team, every JROTC unit has their creed or their charge. And as solo drillers, we're not all part of the same sort of unit in a way that we can uh, have those values to represent. So the idea was kind of just like put that forward as a uh, solo driller. And none of the judges liked that. All of them commented on the score sheets. One of them said like less talk, more drill. Like they were not fans, but it was a pretty, it was a pretty good routine. So I got, I got second for second year in a row. So I'm thinking between that and the one handed routine, if I just stop playing games and play the game as I'm supposed to, and just like do all the things that I know that I'm supposed to do that are supposed to make me win, then like, maybe I'll just win. So that was kind of my idea going into last year. And um, you know, obviously that didn't work out. Uh, it was, it was weird because the past two years I had, I had gotten second. So when my name didn't get called for second, I was like, Oh, this is it. So when I didn't get called for first, I was like, weird. Okay. So, um, that was a little like weird and unexpected in the moment, but I think that, uh, stepping away from it and, and getting a more objective view of the whole thing. Um, this whole thing's really a process of trial and error. And as much as I thought I had the formula down for how to win, I really didn't. And there's some other, uh, variables that I need to take into account this year. So I've been scripting appropriately and I'm, I'm trying to, uh, make my performance built this year so that, um, it should be, much more clearly competitive for first place. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a little, it was a little tough there at first, but you know, at the end of the day, what am I going to do? I'm just going to go back and keep trying until I do the thing. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's that that's an awesome attitude to have towards, uh, competing. Cause I know some people, they just give up. So I'm really, I'm really, um, happy to, or say I'm excited to see what you have for this year because last year's routine I was pretty I I liked it a lot so if it's anything if it's better than that then it's gonna be pretty tight for number one then so that's really cool though and so 
the final question I have for you for today, I want to end it with this. And uh, it's the uh, so when looking at your social media on just Instagram or whatnot, um, we see a lack of uh, like social media presence. You don't really post too much. And it's kind of a superficial uh, kind of question, but like, is it in like kind of today's society with the drill, people say like posting social media and you see um, a lot of uh, like the River City TikTok and um, just a lot of people moving towards social media to kind of get like this uh, uh, drill out, I guess. It's a way of um, advertising drill, I should say. And so, and, but we don't see you doing a lot of that. And so I have a, what what is the purpose? Is there a purpose behind you not having a good, uh, or not good, but a, uh, active social media presence with the drill when a lot of people are um, so i'd say about half of that if not more comes down to me just being terribly non-tech savvy like when it comes to technology i'm honestly a total boomer but i i think that outside of that it's um a lot that i don't have a, a ton of content worth like sharing right now or or figuring out a way to share, you know, with the street elite, it was like make content all the time and then always put more videos out. And like, there was like a automatic post there for like a year straight of just a video every other day or every third day or something like that. But as an individual, I, I don't uh, feel a huge need to self promote. Um, I don't have any products to sell other than the rifle scabbards, which I've made a couple posts about, but outside of the you know, if everyone in the entire independent drill community got a scabbard, even people that are relatively removed, then like, you know, maybe I sell out of my current inventory. But what I'm kind of looking for right now is opportunities to um, do group orders for uh, RTC programs. Uh, in this past run, I actually did one of a little over 30 scabbards for one unit that, you know, they got red scabbards, blue text and uh, custom text as well. Um, and I'm hoping to do more group orders like that. I have one vending, uh, opportunity coming up this season. And, um, outside of that, I'm coaching a drill team. Um, I'm, Oh, really? Yeah. I'm, I'm not even doing it like super frequently. It's maybe like once or twice a week. I'm not, it's not like a, a official paid gig or anything. I'm just, I'm just spending my time doing some things in kind of, uh, reorienting, reorienting myself to, uh, where, um, where my efforts need to go because between the scabbards, which were a huge amount of time and money, uh, I haven't had as much to focus on, you know, with the street elite, I, I managed a team for a while and then I was planning on going to Taiwan. So I had like all these notions of what I was going to do. And then that didn't pan out. So I'm just, I've kind of just been chilling this season, not doing a whole bunch, working on some things here and there. I've got a new tandem partner. That's a secret though. Um, oh, no, really? <laughs> um, it's going to be cool. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing stuff. I just, I don't, I don't have anything to uh, put out there and I don't have an easy time working technology enough to just put things out there without a great amount of effort. That's completely fair. Um, social media can be very hard to handle sometimes, especially with the Drill Hub account. It's and especially with TikTok, they always take down stuff because it's people see a rifle. So, but that's completely fair. That pretty much wraps up all the questions I had. 
And um, so now, so now we set up a poll on the America Drillport Instagram um, to the public to kind of see just like kind of quick uh, one-off questions to see what uh, just people had to say. So we have a question from Riggs, and his was, um, "How do you gain, or how do you? Uh, sorry, this thing's not loading now." But basically, what he was asking was, um, how do you uh, get ideas for creativity, and how do you be creative with drill? I think that that can come from uh, a very good many things. I think that the creative process is unique for everybody. So for some people, what gets those creative juices flowing is music. Um, sometimes it can help to try spinning to a different kind of music. Usually I listen to either lo-fi or drum and bass. So it's either low intensity or high intensity but sometimes I'll just try to mix it up with something I don't typically listen to and see, you know, what kind of comes of that. Um, and then a lot of other times what I like to do is test something that doesn't make sense. So like, you know, if I spin this thing over my head and then I uh, lean to the left and then thrust my elbow up, then like, what happens? I don't know. It's probably going to fall. It might hit my shoulder kind of hard. I'm not really sure, but like, what happens? And then you see what happens and then you see maybe what could happen. And then you try something a little bit different and you refine that process to be something completely unorthodox because you're, you're kind of whittling your way to what works. I think that um, I love the Thomas Edison quote of like, I didn't find, or I didn't fail at making a light bulb a thousand times. I found a thousand ways not to make a light bulb because I think that that is extremely true for uh, figuring out what works, what doesn't, and uh, testing new processes. An awesome quote to open up your creativity to. And um, that, that's about all I have for you today, Nora. And uh, but is there anything else you'd like to tell the listeners, uh, your future or products that you love? Go buy a rifle scabbard. Um, see y'all in Daytona. Rifle flow games are going to be sick. Uh, cash prizes are going to be higher than they have ever been by a little bit. Well, I'll, I will have to look into the rifle scabbard. I'm probably going to get one after I finish this interview. But um. That about wraps it up for all of us. Um, Naraya, thank you so much for dedicating the time on uh, Martin Luther King Day to come uh, get interviewed by me. And the uh, first experience for me, and I hope it was a good first experience for you. And um, hopefully we'll get this episode out soon. But thank you so much for your time. And uh, we'll catch you all later. And uh, that's it. Um, take care, y'all.